The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, I'm Darren Fonda, crypto and finance editor for Barron's. Welcome to Barron's Live, Managing Your Money. Today, we have Securities and Exchange Commissioner Hester Peirce, and we'll be discussing the state of crypto regulation. Crypto has become a very hot topic in Washington. The White House wants a coordinated strategy for overseeing the industry and is asking federal agencies and departments to develop proposals, but a partisan divide is growing in Congress over how to supervise tax and regulate the industry. Republicans generally support a loose framework while Democrats are making a case for stricter investor protections and taxation. The Securities and Exchange Commission sits at the nexus of this debate. Led by Chairman Gary Gensler, a Democrat appointed by President Biden, the SEC has taken a get-tough approach to the industry, but Gensler also faces opposition within the agency, notably from fellow Commissioner Hester Peirce. A Republican appointee of former President Trump, Peirce has won the nickname Crypto Mom for her support of the industry. She has clashed with Gensler over crypto enforcement actions, called for a light regulatory approach, and urged the agency to approve an exchange-traded fund based on spot prices for Bitcoin, in addition to the recently approved futures products. So let's dive in and talk about what's next for crypto in Washington. Welcome, Commissioner Peirce. Darren, thank you. It's wonderful to be here, and thank you to Barron's as well. I, I want to start with my disclaimer, which I think you sort of front ran, you, you front ran me on a little bit, but um, my views are my own views, not necessarily those of the SEC or my fellow commissioners. Okay, fantastic. So let's dive in. So uh, Chairman Gensler has called crypto kind of the wild west of finance. Tokens aren't registered as securities um, or any other type of investment for the most part. Exchanges aren't registered with the SEC. They're licensed as money transfer businesses by states, and there aren't nearly as many investor protections if an exchange is hacked or goes bankrupt. Crypto lending and DeFi are also largely operating without standard regulations, and there's growing concern about stablecoins, which are tokens with a fixed $1 value. Uh, some, uh, some regulators view them as a threat to broader market financial stability. So the, the kind of the broad question here is what makes crypto and all of this so challenging to regulate? There are a couple of things. One is that crypto has grown quite rapidly and in a short period of time. And so that makes it challenging because it keeps changing and the technology, uh, the underlying technology is the same, but people are using different uh, iterations of that technology to do different things. And so it's really hard for us to stay abreast of the change. That's one piece of it. And the second is that it's not one uniform thing. Crypto is many things. And so because of that, it doesn't slot neatly into any one regulatory framework. So how are crypto exchanges so different uh, than a stock exchange or a commodities future exchange? What, what are the difficulties for exchanges to come to the SEC and actually register? Well, I think one of the difficulties is that while Chair Gensler has stated quite categorically, not entirely, but he, he said that 
most of what he sees in crypto looks like it involves securities to him. And so the problem is that these exchanges trade digital assets, some of which may be securities, but some of which are not securities. And so it's not clear how a platform that's trading securities alongside non-securities would register with us. That's just not typically the kind of exchange that we we regulate. A second thing that makes it a bit more difficult is that crypto exchanges tend to have direct relationships with retail customers, whereas that's not typical for um, a, a securities exchange. And so given that, I think there'll be some need to, to make some adjustments. And because of the nature of crypto, there are questions around custody. How do you hold crypto if you're an exchange? Um, and those kinds of things are going to have to get worked out. So while from the perspective of um, is the SEC a natural regulator of a retail exchange, I would say yes, but that might the the kind of regulation might actually look pretty different for a crypto exchange versus for a uh, standard exchange. So is, is the problem that there no rules now or no or the SEC doesn't actually have authority to regulate a trading platform that um, handles both securities and non-securities and then secondarily would there would you need congress uh, to authorize uh, the SEC to oversee this particular or peculiar type of a platform that can trade both securities and non-securities it would be nice if Congress came in and they said, SEC, we want you to do this. Uh, but if a platform is trading securities, then um, it is required to register with us. And I think that's what Chair Gensler has been saying. So then what we need to do is figure out ways to use the authority that we already have to um, afford exemptions from the rules where necessary to allow these entities to register and to serve customers the way that customers want to be served by these by these platforms. So that's kind of the, the difficulty. It would be nice to have Congress say, yes, SEC, go do it. But we do have pretty broad authority. Um, we would have to break new ground if we said that you could, you, a, a trading platform could come in and register with us that when you trade things other than securities. That is something that um, it, it would be an unusual thing for us to do. And so uh, I think we'd have to rely on an exemption from our existing authority to do that. It, it seems like it's kind of a chicken and egg problem because exchanges can't come in under the current framework and register because they're not trading securities uh, or offering securities. But at the same time, Bitcoin and you know many, many other tokens would be very difficult to actually be registered as securities. Do, do you view that? How, I mean, how would Bitcoin be registered as security? And if, if it doesn't register as security, um, are there other tokens that could be registered as security, uh, even if they don't have a centralized authority behind them? There are a lot of difficult questions around when when something is actually a security. And so I think that's where the SEC has been struggling um, to, to provide some parameters. We've we've fallen back on some 
standard tests that we've used over time to determine whether something is a security. So there, there are questions around um, around some of these these crypto assets, whether they're securities, and others seem to fall more clearly outside of the of the security bucket. Um, but either way, I think the the question you raise is an important one because the existing securities laws don't really provide a purchaser of a crypto asset the kind of information that she needs to decide whether or not to buy that asset. So what I'd like to see us do is, is try to um, prescribe some, some disclosure requirements around crypto assets that are, that are better tailored to give the information that a purchaser would want to know. Who's behind the project? What is the, has the code been checked out by, by an independent third party to see that it matches what, what the white paper says that it's doing? What are the plans for developing the, the project of which the crypto asset is part? So that's the kind of thing I'd like to see us doing. Um, and I think that would lend itself better to put some of these assets um, on a path toward decentralization where there's no one person in charge of the asset anymore. Yeah, it still, it still seems like a problem with Bitcoin because there is no authority with Bitcoin that could either come in and register. I suppose an exchange could take it upon themselves to, uh, or some kind of organization, maybe a, a blockchain or crypto organization could verify that the code is accurate. In this case, for example, the white paper uh, is accurate and the, the, what, it, what it's going on is actually what the white paper says. But in many other cases, and, and I suppose in some other cases, there are tokens with a foundation or organization behind them that could verify them. But Bitcoin does seem like a major exemption um, that, or would need a major exemption from these rules. Um, so what is your so like what is your solution then? Like you have said, or I think you said that you would like to see a, a self-regulatory organization perhaps take a leading role in crypto? Well, Darren, your point is right about the, the whole point of crypto is to allow for the elimination of a central person or entity that would be responsible for um, for a network. And so it that doesn't sit very well with our securities laws, which really do count on there being a person or a company that we can go to and say, hey, we want information. We want you to do X, Y, or Z. We want you to comply with X, Y, or Z. So that is a sort of an overarching problem in this area. Um, I think there are different approaches that can be taken to regulating this space. One would be for the SEC to be clearly given authority over trading platforms, regardless of whether the crypto assets are securities or not. Another would be to say, why don't we set up some sort of, why doesn't the industry set up a self-regulatory organization that can police trading platforms? Um, that might be a very natural fit for a self-regulatory organization because SROs tend to be able to adjust more, more quickly to changes um, you ha would have the technical expertise in that kind of an organization, but there are difficulties there too because when you have a, 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 a powerful SRO, um, people may want to have government oversight of that, and then you end up with two layers of regulation as opposed to just one. So that could be a, an argument for having it at the SEC. You could make an argument for having the 
the SEC and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission share authority. So there are a lot of different potential models, um, but, but I, I think that's that's one of the reasons why a lot of people would love to have Congress step in and, and decide where where the regulatory authority should lie. Is, is there any news um, along these lines? I mean, a lot of this has just been discussed uh, quite for quite a while, uh, and it doesn't seem like any concrete proposals have come forth. Um, do you can you give us a sense of whether there is any movement taking shape either to develop an SRO or to get an SRO involved or to have the SEC come out and propose? Um, regulating or overseeing uh, platforms? Well, I think there are a number of industry efforts um, that around around maybe creating an SRO. And then there certainly are legislative bills being um, being prepared and some have been introduced already to, to deal with um, crypto, many different aspects of crypto. I think what's going on, though, at the SEC is is likely to be quite important in the development of regulation in this space. And that is that, as you, you mentioned earlier, Chair Gensler has told these platforms to come in and register with us. And so what I think might happen is that you get one-off um, one regulation as, as an exchange comes in and enters into some kind of agreement with the SEC. And my concern with that is that those negotiations are happening outside of the public eye. And I think it would be preferable to have these conversations happen in a public forum through um, a, a, a means by which other people could comment, not just the particular trading venue, but other trading venues that might be competitors and customers so that kind of a, a, a process is really what, that's how, how good regulation comes out is when you've got the regulator talking to people, but doing so in a way that's transparent. Yeah, it sounds like we need a process here with some uh, public rulemaking or public proposals or calls for comments, something like that, that can open things up. I'd just like to uh, remind the audience to go ahead and, and submit some questions for Commissioner Peirce, um, and we will get to those uh, in a few minutes. So another uh, thing that happened recently is uh, BlockFi, uh, the big lending platform, settled uh, with the SEC for $100 million in fines uh, and penalties over its crypto lending products. Uh, BlockFi has said uh, that they would like to register their lending products with the SEC uh, and or register in as an investment company. Um, but Commissioner Peirce, you, you've said that that's going to be very difficult for them. Uh, what is the challenge here for a crypto lender to come in and register either as an either either its in its interest bearing product uh, and or to register as an investment company? Well, I think the difficulty is that anything that involves crypto, when when it comes in, when an entity comes in with a crypto product and tries to to register it with the SEC, there tends to be quite a lengthy process, lots of questions back and forth. And of course, some of that is, is natural and important. These are, these are breaking new ground. And so it's, it's, it's understandable that there'd be a lot of questions, but that process can just take a very long time. So I think that's one piece that as people have looked at the settlement, maybe they haven't baked that time lag into the, into the, um, 
calculation of how long it might take before a retail product is is available. And the second piece is that we made it the the commission made it clear in that settlement that it views um, it, it it viewed BlockFi as an investment company, an unregistered investment company. And so there's there's going to be a need to either register as an investment company or to um, qualify for an exemption from registration. And and that is not an easy uh, nut to crack. And so I think that will take some time to figure that out. The Investment Company Act is a set of regulations that's designed for mutual funds. And, um, you know, it's really designed around a retail pooled investment product. And so it's it's not necessarily a natural fit for these crypto lending entities. And um, so my suggestion was, you know, as, as Congress had the foresight to give the commission uh, exemptive authority under the Investment Company Act, this would be a perfect opportunity to take advantage of that, to use the exemptive authority to get any protections that um, the commission thought were necessary, but at the same time to allow the structure to move forward in a way that serves customers well. Um, I think more broadly, we should take a step back and say, do, do the securities laws even fit crypto lending products the best, or is there a better way to address the regulatory concerns while still allowing this product to be available to U.S. investors in a way that works for them, um, or you know, especially to, to retail clients, which I think um, that's that's where a lot of our focus has been thinking about retail customer protection. So, asking is that even the best um, framework? If it is, it's not clear to me that the Investment Company Act provides a lot of additional protection if they're going to do a, a registration with our division of corporation finance. So, so could BlockFi come in seek or seek an exemption? And then let's say the FTC says, no, you can't register as an investment company. And no, we're not going to give you an exemption. Would BlockFi still be able to offer its, uh, in, its interest-bearing accounts to retail investors in that scenario, and the same would apply to presumably other crypto lenders that are in the same boat. Uh, if, if this has happened to BlockFi, one can imagine that Celsius and others are going to face the same kind of questions about their products and that they will either be required to register or get an exemption or cease offering their invest uh, their interest-bearing accounts to retail. W what's your view on that? Well, as any good securities lawyer will say, the facts and circumstances matter tremendously whenever you're analyzing something under the securities laws. So that's kind of a baseline question, and and every product has its unique aspects. Every company has its unique aspects. What I will say, and what I said in my dissent on the BlockFi settlement, is I think. It is a very difficult position to be in if 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 the commission were to come back and say you can neither rely on an exemption nor register as an investment company. Um, that would that would certainly make it much more difficult to offer a retail lending product under the if we take as a given the framework that 
that the commission set forth in its settlement with BlockFi. So I think there still are questions to be answered about just exactly how that process is going to work. Okay, and great, how great. quickly, not only how it will work, but how quickly it will work. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Bitcoin ETFs, because this is a, an area of great interest, I think, to a lot of investors. There are now a few Bitcoin futures products on the market that were uh, basically approved by the SEC last year. But the uh, crypto fund companies and fund companies in general have been trying for years um, to get approval for a Bitcoin ETF based on the spot price of Bitcoin, the same price that people see on exchanges and other trading platforms. You for years have said, I believe that the SEC should go ahead and grant approval for a spot-based Bitcoin ETF, but that does not seem to be happening. Uh, the SEC has rejected uh, application after application in, for spot-based ETF, even though they're, they're now trading in Canada and Switzerland. Uh, and uh, there does seem to be a lot of interest abroad, and I'm sure there's a lot of interest in the U.S. in a spot-based ETF. So what is your view? Is there, is there any movement at the SEC now, um, given all of these alternative ways to access Bitcoin um, to actually approve a spot-based ETF, which could help lower fees um, and maybe expand access to the product to more retail investors? Well, you're right that people have been trying for quite a number of years to get a Bitcoin spot ETP approved by the commission. And, and so far, none of those attempts has been successful. Um, I, for the last four years, have been, have been suggesting that the framework, the lens through which we're looking at these applications is, is, is just wrong. And it sets a standard, I think, one, that's kind of a moving target, but two, that, that asks for crypto exchanges, for, for the exchanges on which Bitcoin trades to look much like a regulated securities exchange in the United States. And I just think that that's the wrong, it, it's the wrong standard to apply when you're looking at one of these things. It isn't necessary to have Bitcoin trade on markets that look just like our, our stock markets in the United States. What matters is that the product, the, the exchange traded product can operate in a way um, that that is consistent with with our rules, and I think that it's it's helpful to have the experiences of other countries. Of course, their rules are not identical to ours, but to see that these products have been able to trade in other countries um, and and do so without without problems, that's helpful. And then, as you pointed out, there are a lot of other products out there now that give retail investors access to Bitcoin, but do so in a way that's not as direct and not as not as um, inexpensive as a Bitcoin exchange traded product could be. So I, I really think we need to take a fresh look uh, at these products as they as these at these applications as they come in and do so applying a standard that I think is more in conformance with the standards that we've applied to similar products in the past. So is, so, is, it, your, is it your view that uh, the, I, I know that one of the concerns of, of Chair Gensler and the SEC in general has been that the spot market is uh, vulnerable to manipulation and that the transmission mechanism of pricing 
from the spot market to an exchange uh, is not as uh, transparent or direct as it is in other areas. Is, does, does, does Bitcoin and the crypto markets, the spot markets for crypto, do, would they need a kind of exemption um, from the SEC uh, for this transmission mechanism? And what is your view on the potential for price manipulation? Well, manipulation is a danger in any market, even in our heavily regulated markets. We see manipulation sometimes and we bring cases uh, when we see it. So I don't think that you can anticipate that any market will be free of manipulation. In terms of the mechanism for getting the price, uh, for transferring the price into the into the product, into the exchange traded product we're talking about, I mean, we can ask for more clarity around the mechanism. I think the applications I've seen have been actually fairly clear about how those prices get calculated. Um, I think another complicating factor here is that, but complicating in a good way, is that the futures markets for Bitcoin have now been up and running for some time. And so there's there's at least some evidence that if you were trying to manipulate the spot market in Bitcoin, you would also have to manipulate the futures market in Bitcoin. But because that market is is regulated by the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, you have the regulated market that we say we're looking for um, in order to approve one of these products. So if you don't feel comfortable, if the SEC doesn't feel comfortable looking at those underlying Bitcoin markets, then it can rest assured that they're the regulated futures markets, um, which look much more like markets that we're familiar with. So we can take our comfort from those markets. Okay. So we have a question from Todd uh, pointing out that uh, Ray Dalio, uh, who uh, is well-known in hedge funds, has referred to crypto as a limited supply of nothing. Uh, I think what he's getting at is that we're talking about assets that are nothing like stocks or bonds or real estate, uh, nothing with any kind of tangible cash flows that analysts or anyone can analyze with traditional analytical tools. Uh, you know, Bitcoin has a limited supply, but uh, there's a lot of questions about what it's actually good for um, other than, you know, maybe a store of value. And we could say the same thing about many other cryptos. What, what is your view on that? Is this, are we talking about something here that at the end of the day really doesn't have much in the way of tangible value at all? Well, so one, one response to that is it's important to, to remember that crypto assets are not all the same. And so uh, it's, it's really difficult to talk about them with, with one broad brush, to paint them with one broad brush. Um, you know, if you're talking about the assets that are the crypto assets that are intended to be money like, um, you, you know, people over time have decided what to put value in and what what they choose to use as a transfer of value. And 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 so. The fact that they're only going to be a certain number of Bitcoin, they're only going to be 21 million. There, there are reasons why people have chosen um to, to put value there and, and that's fine. You can come to a different conclusion. That's what markets are haggling about right now. That's why the price moves around. Um, but other assets, other crypto assets do have ties to revenue or you know, do have tangible 
uses in a network or um, it, it, crypto assets can also be used in games, can also be um, representative, you know, you can have non-fungible tokens, those are crypto assets too, and they're, they're representative of perhaps art. And so there are a lot of different crypto assets out there. And I think over time, we're going to realize that um, it, it makes more sense to talk about them in individual categories. For example, you could tokenize a traditional security, and then you'd have a traditional security, but it would be a token. So that that's why it's so difficult to um, to just try to paint them all with the same brush. Yeah, I think it kind of leads to questions about whether every single thing on Earth will somehow one day be turned into a token uh, and traded on uh, a decentralized blockchain network, uh, which is a very interesting future if, in fact, that does develop. Yeah, um, and it it could well it could well be the case, and I think it's it's important to remember if we again a lot of times people compare what's going on now in crypto to the development of the internet and those comparisons may or may not work but it is sometimes difficult to imagine just the number of uses that a new technology can be put forward um, it can be used for and so the initial experimentation a lot of those experiments are going to fail but there will be those that succeed and i think there will be transformation brought about by crypto and it's it's just hard for us to imagine exactly what form that will take yeah you, you've called for a safe harbor uh, for crypto companies uh, to be able to develop their tokens and their networks in a truly decentralized fashion and, and i think some of that those ideas are now uh, in congress in proposed legislation one area that is interesting uh, and that you've also commented on is uh, DeFi, decentralized finance, which is uh, which are not centralized exchanges, where which are basically platforms, uh, blockchain networks, where all kinds of tokens and apps uh, and lending products are uh, being traded and being used. A lot of the activity in crypto right now is on these DeFi networks. Chair Gensler has called DeFi the Wild West of crypto. Um, he presumably would uh, like some of these DeFi platforms to come in and register and said they're not really as decentralized as they would appear. Um, do you agree with that? And, and what do you do about DeFi? Because even if you do reg um, regulate some of the exchanges and some of the tokens, DeFi is code. Uh, and can you regulate code? Yeah, I think Chair Gensler's reaction is a natural reaction for a regulator you want to try to find some sort of centralized body that you can force to register that's a very natural reaction and there's a there's a there's a, a range right there's some entities that are actually entities but may call themselves DeFi, and there's some actually decentralized networks and the the truly decentralized ones allow a peer peer to peer transactions to happen or allow people to interact directly with a protocol and i think those are more challenging for us as regulators but they're also great opportunities for us as regulators because the transparency that's inherent in those in those platforms and the the fact that everyone can come on the same terms to interact with them those are really powerful concepts and ones that we strive for with our regulation all the time. So as we think about how to regulate decentralized finance, we should remember that maybe we need to um, take a different regulatory approach because some of those regulatory objectives are already being met. So we only have a couple of minutes. Um, I'm going to take uh, one more 
question from uh, our audience. Hal asks, if crypto is a currency, shouldn't the, F, shouldn't the Fed or OCC regulate? And if it's a commodity, shouldn't the CFTC regulate? Shouldn't someone be protecting the public right now? Well, I think a lot of people are asking that same question, especially because crypto has grown so much in, in size and, and retail interest. But the difficulty is that, again, not all crypto assets are the same. And so some of them may fall into the commodity bucket. Now, that doesn't mean that the CFTC regulates uh, them because the CFTC does not directly regulate commodities. They have some anti-fraud authority over commodity markets. Um, there are there are proposals out there to regulate certain kinds of, of crypto assets, stable coins, um, under a banking regulatory approach. Though one could argue that we we might be a we the SEC might be a better regulator of those kind of products, or at least we might regulate. There might be different regulatory options. So I think it really is important to look at the particular crypto asset to see what it does, to see which regulatory bucket it fits within. Terrific. I have one more question for you. Uh, Congress, um, some, some members of Congress have been trading crypto uh, and holding uh, Bitcoin. Uh, do you think that uh, members of Congress should be allowed to trade and hold crypto? Well, that's that's way over my uh, over my area of responsibility. Um, as I said at the beginning, I can't speak for the SEC and I certainly can't speak for Congress. So we take orders from them. I can't give them orders. Okay, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for being here, Commissioner Peirce, and thanks to our audience for tuning in. We hope you'll listen to our next episode tomorrow. Financial News' David Ricketts will speak to Virginie Massaneuve, Global CIO for Equity at Allianz Global Investors, and Stephen Yu, Manager of the Blue Whale Growth Fund. They'll discuss how to spot tech stock winners after the share prices of some of the world's biggest tech stocks slumped in January and how investors can avoid being burned in the future. Thanks for listening. Be well and stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.